Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi folks, this is the final show of 2016. And before I begin, I want to thank all of you who have supported the podcast throughout the past year. Your support has really helped the show go from strength to strength. The coming year is pretty exciting with the start of my new series on the Great Famine, which begins in January. This series is brought to you by the listeners who have become patrons of the show at patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. These 119 listeners, just like yourself, donate as little as a dollar a month, but allow me to spend more time making the podcast. With your support, I can produce better and more frequent shows. So why not get on board today at patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. As a patron, you will receive exclusive content and rewards. You will get a patron's only monthly podcast, episode guides, early access to the show, and you'll be featured on a patron's wall, which will go live on my website in January. And you'll also be mentioned as a patron in that series on the Great Famine. It's really easy to sign up. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast today. That's patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. Now to begin today's show, A Hitchhiker's Guide to 1820s Ireland. In the opening line of his novel, The Go-Between, the writer L.P. Hartley famously wrote, The past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. For me at least... History is about attempting to visit this foreign country that L.P. Hartley talked about and seeing what life was like. There's no better way to do this than through the accounts of eyewitnesses and for this show I have trawled through contemporary accounts from early 19th century Ireland to give you a sense of what life was like around 200 years ago. From the words of Prussian aristocrats to English ladies who visited Ireland in the early 19th century, we will return to a world where things were done very differently. From bare-knuckle boxing to prostitution, from public transport to what people did for fun, this show, if anything, will prove that the past is indeed a foreign country. This show is based on accounts hosted at the University College Cork website ucc.ie forward slash celt. Patrons will have access to a fully referenced episode guide at patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. 
our journey in 1820s Ireland begins in what was the fast-growing capital city, Dublin. By 1821, the population had reached 224,000 and Dublin was a hive of activity. Some of the buildings which shaped the modern city were standing. Trinity College, the Customs House and the fine Georgian squares, such as St Stephen's Green, were already part of the city. The words of Marianne Grant, the wife of a British Army major who passed through Dublin in 1804, gives us a good sense of what the city looked like. If you wish to form an idea of it, you may fix your thoughts on London, for the same crowded streets, bustling shops and large and small houses are blended together, though I think the public edifices are, in general, far more elegant and placed to more advantage. The university is erected in the finest taste. The Customs House is superb, and I was quite charmed with the grandeur of Stephen's Green. This noble square forms the fashionable promenade of Dublin. The want of regularity in its buildings cannot, however, fail to offend the eye, and the deep ditch by which the green is surrounded forms a very unwholesome puddle and is perfectly disgusting. It is a pity a square so elegant can be thus disfigured. The environs of Dublin are exceedingly picturesque, I am informed, and I am lamented that continual wet weather during my short stay prevented me from making any excursions. While this might give you the impression that Dublin was not so different in the early 19th century, other accounts of the capital will shatter that illusion. Another anonymous traveller who arrived in Dublin in 1804 offers insights into the more unnerving aspects of life in the city. Everything in Dublin is pomp or poverty, splendour or squalid wretchedness. No decent comforts of the middle ranks unite the magnificence and misery. It would be difficult to convey an idea of the vice, filth and wretchedness in which the lower orders dwell and seem to delight everywhere in this district. Many tons of manure cover the alleys and seem to threaten a plague and we saw several children with no other clothing than a remnant of tattered sacking insufficient to cover their nakedness. The streets are crowded in the daytime with the lowest prostitutes whose appearance betrays squalid misery and who either starve or by their numbers prove the city to be depraved to an almost incredible extent. Poverty in early 19th century Dublin was everywhere. This account of a former prostitute who had contracted a sexually transmitted disease is pretty grim. While we sat at dinner, a miserable object came to the window begging. She was a prostitute who had once been handsome, for there was still much beauty in her pale and emaciated countenance. The elegance of her manner of asking for alms proved to her to have been in some higher sphere of life, but the dreadful disease, which is a punishment of unlawful pleasure, sat upon her countenance and much disfigured her beauty. She did not seem more than two or three and twenty, but an early old age had seized her constitution, and no longer able to earn her livelihood by prostitution, she was wandering about the streets a common beggar in rags and wretchedness. On the whole, her appearance was so interesting that we sent her a shilling apiece, thus enabling this poor creature to solace one day of her wretched existence with the comfort also arising from a consciousness of being compassionated. This grinding poverty was shocking to even well-seasoned travellers. The German, Friedrich von Raumer, a person who had visited numerous countries across the continent, commented on the poor of Dublin. Compared with these miserable phantoms, all the begging that I saw across Switzerland, the Papal Dominions and even in southern Italy was a mere trifle. However, that said, great wealth coexisted in Dublin and the Prussian noble Hermann von Plucker Moscow remarked on some of this. The houses and streets have a dirty air, although Dublin is adorned with many magnificent palaces and broad straight streets. The ground features of the landscape, the bay, the distant Wicklow Mountains, 
the hill of hope, the quays, the harbour are beautiful. Such at least is the first impression. The streets of this early 19th century Dublin offered some strange sights and were not for the faint-hearted as Friedrich von Raumer gives this account of a bare-knuckle boxing fight which took place in a Dublin street in the 1830s. I saw at a distance a crowd of people. I thought I should see another street preacher. It was, however, as someone told me, an Irish amusement. Two fellows stripped to the waist were engaged in a combat, not like the noble Greeks of Olympia or even well-trained boxers, but a desperate buffeting. After they had beaten each other black and blue, were covered with blood and half flayed, one of them fell almost senseless into the kennel. The fight, however, was far from over. They lay him on a dry spot, pull his mouth open, pour in half a quart of whiskey and throw a pail of water over his body. Then the furious adversaries were again set upon each other like mad dogs. Even watching this spectacle was a risky pastime. Von Raumer watched how two men made space for the fight amidst the crowd of spectators. In order to clear the ground, they struck the spectators with large whips so that nobody in the first three rows escaped without the severest cuts, one of which I should have not gotten over for four weeks. While Dublin of the 1820s was a strange city by modern standards, the rest of Ireland was like another world. Even leaving the city itself to get to rural Ireland was an experience. There was little or no public transport in Ireland prior to the early 19th century. Then, in 1815, an Italian, Charles Bianconi, established a stagecoach business. Not that different from what you might see in a Western movie, they were far less grand. Drawn by a team of four horses, they were, shall I say, an interesting way to travel. An anonymous visitor wrote this account in 1804. The stagecoaches are dirty beyond measure, a most uneasy, unsafe mode of conveyance. There seems to be no examination of the coaches before they set out, and something is always going wrong. While unreliable transport is a feature of every society, the stagecoach seating arrangements were at times terrifying. You could sit in one of the seats fitted around the roof, or alternatively inside the coach. The German, Johann Georg Kohl, wrote a frank description in the 1840s. In the inside, which is as narrow as a herring barrel, you think yourself in danger of suffocation, and on the outside, where nothing but a single or slight iron rail, four inches high, separates you from an abyss of 15 feet, you grow dizzy. In fact, the seats, whether inside or out, are the most uncomfortable to be found on earth. Uncomfortable as they were, stagecoaches could travel up to seven or eight miles an hour, which, slow as it seems, was impressive when rail wasn't an option. A journey on a stagecoach from Dublin could land a visitor in rural Ireland before the Great Famine, a truly alien and now disappeared world. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Recently, I had a minor argument with a close friend that brought up things from my past that I really needed to get off my chest. I think we've all been there. Now, I found therapy a really great way to work through these issues. For me, I really like online therapy, and BetterHelp is a really great online service that allows you to make space for therapy no matter how busy you are. BetterHelp is convenient, affordable, and gives you the support you need, but also works around your schedule. It's really easy to get up and running with a therapist on BetterHelp. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. You can do your sessions by text, phone, or video call, whichever suits you best. It's all about flexibility, working around your schedule. At the moment, BetterHelp are offering listeners to the show 10% off their first month. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash irishhistory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash irishhistory. One of the most striking differences was the fact that in most rural parts of the country, many people did not speak English and could only speak Irish. The German, Hermann von Plucker Moscow, commented how the women and children in the remoter parts of Ireland seem generally to be ignorant of English or at least to know it so imperfectly as to be unwilling to speak it. The men almost universally understood, but they spoke it with hesitation. The world of rural Ireland shared one characteristic with the bustling urban life in Dublin, that is poverty, which was to be found everywhere. Where they could not have known it, many travellers in the early 19th century had arrived in a country where this growing rural poverty would contribute to the Great Famine of 1845-51. to The German, Friedrich von Raumer, gave his impressions in the 1830s. To form an idea of it, you must see these houses. Not houses, but huts. Not huts, but hovels. Mostly without windows or apertures. The same entrance, the same narrow space for men and hogs. The latter, lively, sleek and well-fed. The former covered in rags, or rather hung with fragments of rags in a manner which it is impossible to conceive. I did not see upon thousands of Irish a whole coat, a whole shirt, a whole cloak, but all in tatters, and tatters such as are nowhere else to be seen. Mary Ann Grant, a British Army major's wife who lived in the west of Ireland, wrote this in 1804. The poverty and wretchedness that continually presented themselves to our view was really melancholy. Their huts, or cabins as they are called, present the most striking pictures of penury, the horse, cow and pig, if there are any, enjoy the same privileges with their master and his family, for they generally all live or rather exist under the same roof, which is literally a receptacle for every kind of filth, smoke and vermin. Amidst this grind of rural poverty in the early 19th century, Ireland was very slow to change. Indeed, in some respects, it had one foot in a very distant past. Nowhere was this more obvious than in superstitions, which were very common and noticed by numerous travellers. Mary Ann Grant said, The superstition of the common people is very great. A striking instance offers itself in the reverence they pay towards what they call holy water. In this province, Connacht, there are several wells which, in the early stages of Christianity, were dedicated to some saint, whose name was believed to bestow upon them a healing quality that would cure invalids who were immersed in them. I lately saw a woman and her daughter, a girl of about eight years of age, who had just returned from performing this act, of superstition. They had walked 17 miles, the poor child's feet were blistered and bleeding, yet the mother beheld them with pleasure, 
because she believed that the girl, who had been dipped several times in the holy well, was forever cured of fits that she had been long subjected to. Lewis Stillwin, a visitor in 1809, was equally struck by superstition. The people of the country are extremely superstitious and our guide amused us all the way with stories about histories of fairies and ghosts. Dillwyn heard how exorcisms were common, although he was sceptical of the clergy who took part. A priest is not infrequently employed to drive him, the devil, off, and on inquiry I found that no pay no prey is a maxim with the holy fathers in this as well as in other matters. Festivals around these superstitions were also common. Joseph Woods, a visitor in 1809, encountered this ritual at Gugon Bar, the ruins of an island monastery in a lake in County Cork. This seems to have been heavily influenced by pagan concepts. At Midsummer's Eve, the people of the country throng here in vast numbers and, as there is no town in the neighbourhood, they pitch their tents on the borders of the lake. The first part of the ceremony is to bathe in the well, which is done by both sexes, the men naked and the women in flannel dresses. After bathing in the well, they are to bathe again in the lake. They then pace around the ruins of the cathedral and visit each shrine and chapel a certain number of times. At night, the ruins of the island, the well and the shore are illuminated by torches and the concourse of people in this wild and savage spot is seen in its most striking point of view. The people of Ireland then and now have a reputation as strong drinkers, although the fact that people in the 19th century were drinking locally distilled whiskey and putchine, an alcoholic drink made from potatoes, which could contain way over 50% of alcohol, led to some interesting spectacles. The Prussian noble Hermann von Plucker Moscow observed, The dirt, the poverty and the ragged clothing of the common people often exceeded all belief. Nevertheless, they seem always good-natured and sometimes have bits of merriment in the open streets which border on madness. Whiskey is generally at the bottom of this. I saw a half-naked lad dance the national dance in the marketplace so long and with such violent exertion that at last he fell down senseless amid cheers of spectators, totally exhausted, like a Mohammedan dervish. It also led to pretty raucous scenes. Marianne Grant witnessed this in 1804 and wasn't impressed. The manner the common people pass their Sunday here does not tend to increase morality. After church service, men, women and children usually desert their cabins and resort to various parts of the country where there are tents fixed. Here religion and the serious duties of the day are silenced by bagpipes and violins. Every foot is in motion to these irresistible sounds, which are not infrequently interrupted by the discordant noise of squalling brats, scolding mothers and swearing fathers. The whisky bottle is frequently circulated and the boisterous mirth for a while resounds throughout the tent, till the repeated large draughts of inebriating liquor begin to operate in the head. Then riot ensues and the clamouring, screaming, groaning, swearing and clashing of shillelaghs succeeds the harmony that prevailed before and concludes this ill-spent day. Judging on Mary Ann Grant's impressions, alcohol was a central feature of life in rural Ireland, which made it raucous and at times dangerous. She gave this impression of Market Day in Lochray. There are weekly fairs or markets held in this town. The number of the country people that assemble and the crowds that appear in the streets are almost incredible in so small a place. Our windows are opposite the principal bustle of the market and we often witness scenes of riot and confusion. They no sooner get the money for the stock they sell than they visit the first public house where they soon inebriate themselves with copious libations of their frequent liquor, whiskey. They then indulge a vein for quarrelling. I'm going to close the show with Marianne Grant's unintentionally humorous account of a funeral in rural Ireland. 
These really sound like a far and distant culture, and while they reveal Mary Ann Grant's contempt for Irish traditions, they also reinforce just how much Ireland has changed in the last 200 years. She continued her disdain for drinking in Irish society with this account. A funeral is not exempt. Indeed, the day of the burial is not a day of mourning, but a day of feasting. Those who I believe are called weepers or criers are hired and their death howl is the most ridiculous and the most hideous that you can conceive. Their ceremonies are not calculated to awaken such solemnity or inspire awe. The corpse is carried along in a rude and hurried manner, followed by a concourse of people, the dress and manners of whom do not bespeak the seriousness of the occasion. Immediately after the corpse is consigned to its last home, the day is passed in feasting and drinking, till incapacitated from either acting or thinking like rational beings, they quarrel and fight and then return to their respective homes, generally maimed and disfigured. It's pretty remarkable that to return to this utterly strange and alien world, we only have to count back five generations of our own families who lived in an Ireland where they certainly did things differently. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and indeed the show throughout the year. In 2017, I will be back with that series on the Great Famine. If you want to make sure you get all the bonus content, you can do so today at patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. That's patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. Until 2017, Sláin August Nolikona. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.